We're jumping in to a series that uh, I just titled for myself at least, uh, No Excuses, Only Expectations, considering what it might be that God wants to do around us, in us, and through us this year. And as I was thinking about preparing and are we prepared for whatever that next step is, I went back in my mind to uh, a difficult memory uh, in high school where I agreed to uh, run in a race. Uh, I was never a runner, never enjoyed that. I'd run 40 yards at the most, unless we were in trouble after practice, 100 yards the whole way. That was about as far as I ever ran. But my student pastor left the church and went to another church, and it was in Texas, and he invited me and one other uh, friend from our student ministry to fly to Houston to connect with him and his wife, to hang out with the house there. Uh, They had not had kids up until that point, and the teenagers kind of were their kids, and we were in close relationship with them. And so he invited us to come out, spend some time with them, see their new place, visit the new church that they were serving. But in between times, also drive up to Dallas and run in a little race that he had been doing for the last few years. And as a 10th grader or so, I, mean, I thought, whatever, it's just, it's just running. I do that. I get it. So I agreed to run in a half marathon. Um, I'm not quite sure I knew how far a half marathon was. I, marathon seemed large. Half marathon is kind of like, you know, your medium level you know, or intermediate level. Then you have your, I, I knew I wasn't a runner, but I wasn't going to do the one mile fun run. So I was like, yeah, half marathon, that's fine. So I got on the plane with my friend, and we flew to Houston, Texas. We reconnected with my former youth pastor, had a great time, went out to eat a bunch, and just enjoyed our time. And then we drove to Dallas for, on Friday for that Saturday race. So we got up the next morning. They had, you know, goop and different things they were carrying around with them as they were going to run and hydrate and all this. And so I just kind of had my, my basketball shorts on and my T-shirt and ready to go. Had some tennis shoes that I'd been wearing every day, no matter the conditions, for the last however many months. And we just showed up and we took off and ran. And as a 10th grader would, I don't want to be, you know, packed in with all these old people, like, you know, 25-year-olds and all these old people that are running, and I thought, I'm going to get away from that. And naturally, the crowd, I guess, thinned out, but I felt like I was running away with the pack. And so I ran as fast as I could that first mile or two. And I wish I could tell you you some funny story about things that happened along the way, And the truth is, like most of the stories that preachers give, you don't know if they're true or not anyway. So I could do that and maybe get a laugh and move on, but but I'm not. I'm not going to make something up. The truth is, after mile five or six, I have no recollection of anything that happened after that. I think my body just kind of shut down in a defense mechanism. I think I finished because when I awoke, the first thing I remember is being with all the other runners at the end, sitting in this grassy area where people were reconnecting with the people that they were supposedly running with. I don't remember anything else. I just know that I couldn't move. My legs were cramped up. My muscles were tight. My calves were on fire. I was just sitting there in the grass and my former youth pastor came over with his wife. And they said, man, how was it? And I was like, how do you, you know, how do you think? Like, I, I'm not, I'm not doing well. Like, this is not a good position to be in. And I failed to mention the friend that flew out there with me was a girl. And so we're, so we're there and she's looking like she had the time of her life. They're taking pictures and they're smiling. And I'm thinking, did you not run? Like I, so it became very clear that I just had not prepared. 
And I understood about preparation. If you had asked me, even as a teenager, do people have to prepare and train to run? Oh, yeah, of course. But my error was assuming that I was already prepared enough. Like, I can do this. Like, if I was running a full marathon, I'm sure there would be programs and training and ways to hydrate and and feed my body and all that. But it's just a half. Like, how far is a half? Who knows? But the world may never know. But a half marathon, I'll just go run it. It doesn't really matter. Now I know it's 13.1 miles, which was probably about 12 more than I should have bitten off at the time. But I just, I thought I was ready, but I was in no way ready for that. And as we begin to pray through and even expect for God to do something great around us and in us and through us this year, I want us just for a moment to really be honest with ourselves and ask, are we ready? If God is ready to actually unfold this thing that we've hoped he was going to do in our work or in our home or both, or in our personal lives, are we actually ready for it? Or will it be one of those things where God says, here's the door, and it's very clear he's giving us the opportunity, and then we sit back and go, I didn't think it would actually happen. I'm not quite ready. I mean, relationally, I've got to do this, or financially, I need to do this, or physically, I... So let me ask you this. If five years ago, you had known exactly where you would be right now, how would you have prepared for this stage of life differently. If five years ago, maybe 10, can't go too far back. Some of you are, that would be like you're five years old. But if you're five or 10 years back, relative to however old you are, another season of life, if you had known exactly where you would be in life today, how would you have prepared differently? Most of us would have done something differently relationally or financially. We would have done something different to prepare for this moment. If nothing else, mentally, we would have gotten ready for this. But we had no idea. I just look back at the last five years of my own life and all the changes that have happened in my home and and the pandemic and all the stuff that I, we had no idea was going to unfold. If I had known, I would have prepared differently. And if God is actually going to do this amazing, incredible thing that we hope around us, in us, and through us, in our personal lives, in our homes, in our businesses, or wherever that may be, are we actually ready for that? Now, we've talked the last couple of weeks, or I guess I always say we, like you've been a part of the conversation. I don't know. I'm sorry. I've yacked at you over and over again the last few weeks about preparing and having those expectations. And We've considered the idea that maybe we need to make sure that our plans, our schedule and structure are such that we're preparing ourselves and expecting God to move. We're making sure we're beginning the day hearing his voice and that we're investing in things that matter to God and we're trusting him by giving back the resources he has given us for his kingdom purposes. And we're doing our best to make sure our lives are scheduled and planned in a way that give room for God to do his thing. Then The next week, we looked at the people, the people in our lives, how we're intentionally supposed to bring people into our lives, people who we can look to and say, I aspire to be like that, or if nothing else, I would be okay if I ended up where they are, people that are behind us, and then someone to journey alongside, that intentionality. And then we looked at the heart. Last week, we looked at something inward, because those other things are outward. You can actually see if we're doing that. They're tangible. They're measurable. They're measurable. But on the inside, if our hearts are rotten, 
everything around is at risk. So we looked at that inward part. But with all of that, none of you really left surprised that we talked about. You left here going, okay, it makes sense. He's talking about stuff that seem religious or spiritual or at the very least moral. And if we want God to do something, if I want him to expect him to do a great thing around me, in me, and through me, then that kind of makes sense. But what about our bodies? You say, well, listen, we're not, this is not about physical body stuff. I can learn about that at home. This is about worship. This is about God. But have you ever thought to consider that rarely are we in stages of life where we are spiritual masterpieces, but we are physically a mess? Rarely do those things happen at the same time where we can say, I am on fire in my relationship with God. There's so much joy and hope and purpose and passion. Now, physically, I'm a wreck, but everything else is just going awesome. Rarely does that ever happen together. Because oftentimes when we are physically weak or we're physically compromised, if we're emotionally, mentally at a bad place, our hearts tend to follow. And we tend to view life and we tend to receive words of encouragement, affirmation in a weird kind of way. And we take instruction uh, not so well. We're just on edge and it's just not us. And there is a connection between our bodies and our spirit. And when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing that we could do? He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It's not just about your heart opening up to worship. It's also about your bodies being in a place where you lay them down as well. Later on, we would read in the New Testament, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. So it should not come as a surprise that the very first overt attack that we find the enemy launching towards Jesus was at a time when he was most physically compromised. In Matthew chapter four, verse one, it says Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry and the tempter came to him. So Jesus is physically at his weakest. He's in this desolate place. He's alone. He's under attack. He's hungry. He's frustrated. He's experiencing everything that you would think a man would experience when he's by himself and hadn't eaten in 40 days. If I'm alone and haven't eaten in 40 minutes, there are things that just are not right with me. But he's fasting. He's taking time away. And it appears that he hasn't eaten or hasn't eaten much in this entire time, uh, depending on how he considers the fast to be. And the fast is not something you and I are super familiar with. We might have withheld something from our lives for a certain amount of time for discipline or to be able to focus on what really matters. I've been fasting from running since I was a sophomore in high school. And so I'm holding down that one really, really well. There are other fasts that I might not be able to fulfill as well. And this would certainly be one of those. But he took some time out because he was about to begin the most difficult phase of his life. He was about to go through an incredibly hard time. He was going to go public with who he was and little by little, people were going to begin to realize that he was more than just a good guy, more than just a prophet. And eventually he was going to be asked point blank, are you the son of God? There was going to be a three-year journey that would lead to his death. So this was his 
preparation time. God the Father was about to do something amazing around, in, and through God the Son. So he's taking this time to step away. And when he's physically at his weakest, the enemy said, now's my time. Now I'm coming. I'm coming after you. And I think you and I need to really be aware that, one, if God is going to do something great around us and in us and through us, that we need to make sure that we are physically prepared for whatever it is that is next. Because whatever it is that God has planned for you next may require bold steps of confidence. So right now, how prepared are you to be confident and to stand alone for what you believe in? What God's about to do in you may require a lot of loneliness and it may require a lot of thought and it may require a lot of planning. And how prepared are you for that? What God's about to do around you, in you, and through you may require a level of wisdom you've never needed before. And you'll have to make decisions for people around you, for yourself, for your business, for your home. And how well are you right now able to assess, like, this is the wise thing to do. This is what God would have me do. And the flip side of that is whether or not God's about to unfold that, I don't know. But I do know that the enemy is planning an attack, and it's not going to be for your success. And how ready are you to fight? Are you fit to fight right now, regardless of what the battle may be? Well, we're going to fast forward from the temptation that Jesus experienced in his weak point here. Three years, and this was now going to be Jesus for the last time having one last moment to prepare for the next journey, which was ultimately going to be his death. So he is ready now to separate himself, to be alone, to be with God. He knows he's going to face temptation, face temptation to either follow his own will that he has as being 100% man, but also the will or the will rather of the father because he's still 100% God and he's got this choice to make. And he ultimately in this one moment of prayer said, God, not my will, but your will be done. He chose that which is amazing resolve, knowing what he was about to go through and what he was feeling in the moment. But I want to get to that time because he was separating himself from God. It wasn't in a desert. It wasn't in a wilderness. It was actually in a place we know as the Garden of Gethsemane. And he went away to pray. And it wasn't just, God, I dread this crucifixion and just give me the strength to do it. No, it says he was kneeling down and it was sweating. He was sweating as if he was sweating blood. And some have even said that it literally was, he was sweating blood, that there's a condition where you are in such stress and such distress that your body can do that. But regardless, he was overwhelmed. And so in that moment of struggle, he prays by himself and then he got up and went back to his disciples to connect with them. And this is what he found. In Mark chapter 14, verse 37, he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So in his most difficult moment, He goes back to the people that are supposed to care about him the most and they have fallen asleep. He said, you couldn't keep watch for one hour. Wake up. This moment is bigger than you realize because what was happening was Jesus was not just preparing himself for his own death, but the disciples were being prepared for what was next. He said, Simon Peter, you gotta wake up, man, because it's about to get difficult. 
I'm going to be taken away from you. You're going to be on your own. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. Eventually, you're going to lose your life because of your relationship with me. This is about to get really real, really fast. And you're sleeping. You're not ready. So the question I want all of us to ask ourselves today is, am I fit to fight? Now, I hope that what God has next for you is not a struggle and a fight. But am I fit? Am I ready for it? Am I prepared for what is next? I can say all day, God, I want you to do something big in me, through me, around me. I want you to use me up. Show me what you have for me. And then if God says, okay, here it is, we then don't have time to say, well, hold on. I didn't, I didn't mean in January. I just mean in 2023. I, just give me four or five months to get things ready. Just tell me what it's going to be so I can get ready for it. And Jesus says, get ready. And while God is about to unfold whatever he has for you and your home, the enemy says, no, no, no. I think I can take him down. She's so vulnerable. She is so weak right now. She is physically falling apart, and there's no way she's going to be strong enough to handle that. I can attack that. So am I fit to fight? Well, I want to share four different areas and four different arenas to at least get your mind going today on that, and hopefully even allowing your heart to go there as well. Just four words that I think could be goals, but also could be arenas in which we have to stop and say, am I really prepared here? And the first one is the arena, the area of clarity. Being able to think, to process clearly, to be able to say, okay, I assess the situation. And my encouragement for you is to protect your clarity at all costs for the sake of wisdom. It's going to be hard for you to be able to know the plans God has for you and for those who are depending on you if you don't have the ability to be able to stop and process information and think clearly. If you've ever been with people and it was so loud, there was a lot happening, or whether it was a party, you get together, gathering, whatever it was, they're just talking and talking and talking and talking. And then you got in your car and drove away. And in that silence, you stopped and thought, what did he say again? What was she? I missed that along the way, but now I'm, now I'm remembering. Now it's making sense because you're removing yourself from the situation and you're able to process things. And some of you right now are physically so frazzled and so on edge and you have so much coming in and there's so much on your mind and you're constantly weighing things that there's no clarity at all. You're just surviving. And we miss this call to be able to assess what's going on. And Jesus walks back into our lives and says, wake up. You don't know what's about to unfold. I understand that, but get ready. This is much bigger than you can imagine. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter wrote, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy has a plan for you. And Peter wrote and said, Wake up. If you're just aware, if you'll just be alert, you'll recognize there are signs all around. You'll hear mumblings and rumblings of it. You'll know it's coming. You need to be awake. And again, that was from the book of 1 Peter, who was leaned up on a rock on Jesus' most difficult time, sound asleep. And Jesus walked up and said, wake up, Peter. And now years later, Peter's writing back with that experience still fresh, saying, church, wake up. Be alert like I wasn't. Be alert 
because your enemy wants to devour you in your home. And if you're not watching, if you're not clear, if you're not alert, then you're going to fall apart. He's going to take you down. So there needs to be a priority of clarity in our lives. The second word is the word rest. And you all knew this word was coming. If we're going to talk about physical stuff, you know, you know rest is coming. And rest is a gift. Now, not sleep. Some of you are killing your sleep game, but you're not resting. You're in bed a lot, but you're not at rest. You're tossing and you're turning and you're scrolling and you're liking and you're disliking and you're commenting and you're changing the remote. There's a lot going on, but it's not rest. And this doesn't really just mean lying in bed with your eyes closed. I mean, being able to know when your body's at rest and when it's not. And we don't value rest in our culture. And that's a hard thing. And I know we would not admit it because Jesus is our all in all. We're here to celebrate him. But most of us would be disappointed with Jesus if we had lived during his time, especially as men. He said, Jesus never works. He's forgiving and loving and teaching and hugging and all that. He never works. So we want to see somebody sweating and bleeding and hanging out with all hours of the night, working on projects. And that's what we value. And that really wasn't a thing. That's a cultural thing. Now, it's not to say don't work hard. But most of the time, we glorify the work. And today, I'll, I'll watch a couple of games, and we'll glorify the, those guys who are sweating and limping off the field and look at all the hard work, and we'll see pictures of it. And we've, I've even got pictures in my mind from looking at uh, football games from the 60s and 70s and images of blood coming down the nose, and like, oh, man, that was a man's man. What you don't see is Monday through Wednesday when they're in a hyperbaric chamber with an IV and they're resting for 72 hours doing absolutely nothing, healing up and preparing for the next fight. We don't, we don't glorify that. We don't go, I've got this amazing poster on my wall of my favorite athlete zipped up in this chamber here and he's just resting. It's great. Like, that's not a thing. That's not very inspiring. But for most of us, we can chart our spiritual failures to times in our life when we were physically exhausted. We just didn't have it in us. We didn't have the energy to be able to have that conversation. We didn't have the energy to say no to that thing. We didn't have the energy to process our grief in any other way than this. We didn't have the ability to be able to hide our disappointment except for this. And we're just not at rest. But rest is actually a gift. And in Exodus chapter 16, we read, and this is before Moses got these on the Ten Commandments, uh, the Ten Commandments on, on tablet. But in Exodus chapter 16, verse 9, he says, Bear in mind that the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Like the Sabbath is a gift, this gift of rest, where from the very beginning, God said, Make sure that you take time out to breathe and to focus on what matters to be able to step away from your work and to be able to rest. And part of the preparation for what God has in store for you and part of the preparation for being able to fight against what the enemy is going to throw at you and your family is you just being rested and being ready, being prepared. The third word that I want to put out there, the third arena and area that we can focus on is, I just call it fuel, and I don't want to just write food, so I'm going to say fuel, and here's why. 
Because most of us look at what we put in our bodies as filling ourselves as opposed to fueling ourselves. And God has sent all of us on mission with a purpose. And what we fuel our bodies with is ultimately going to determine if we're prepared to carry it out. And it all goes hand in hand. The stuff that we eat, the stuff that we drink, the stuff that we smoke, whatever it may be, it all is going to affect us and our readiness and our preparation. Now, we know this fact about when it comes to maybe the church house, so we don't think much about our bodies in this way. And Jesus showed up at one point. He came to what we know as the church complex, and he flipped over tons of tables. We had this outburst that we hadn't seen in any other time in Jesus' life. And his anger, his righteous anger was so strong because people had turned this place of worship into a place of transactions. He says, it's a den of thieves here. You've lost the purpose. You've lost the point. He was so angry about that. And we don't think of church that way. I hope you know the church is not a building. The church is a people. Um, this is where the church, our particular church family meets and gathers, but this is not the church. But I, I hear it, and we all hear it with each of you. We'll go out in that lobby afterwards, and some of you will turn to some little ones and say, don't say that in church. Do not do that in church. I can't believe you said that here in church, in God's house. Like, we, we have this way of going, oh, don't do that here. Now, we get in the parking lot, punch each other to death if you want, but not in this place. This is a holy metal building. Like, this is very different here. And yet, we look through scripture and God says, listen, you want to talk about the church? I mean, I'm taking my spirit and I'm placing it inside that flesh that you're wearing. This is your place. And I wonder at times if the Holy Spirit just wants to yell at us and say, don't put that in your mouth. I don't want that here. I don't want to smell that. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be covered in that. Look, this is different here. Now, this is not about trying to say we need to eat a certain way, drink a certain thing, or whatever it may be. I almost said smoke a certain thing. That's weird. Anyway, but it's not that. It's more about saying, I know me, and I know when I'm at my best, and I know it matters what I allow to come in my body. And so maybe for me or for me in this season, I've got to make some changes, now, there are certain people who can just eat whatever they want and it doesn't change them at all. Those people are called demons and they can eat whatever they want. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And we all, have, we all feel the same way about all of those people. And if you're one of them, you can sit in the lobby, watch on the television if you'd like because you're not welcome in this place. It's, we know that. We understand that it's a deal. And when we start comparing or trying to say, well, I want to be like, no, this, that. That's, in fact, maybe even a more difficult road to go down. It's me saying, okay, God, if you've got great things prepared for me, I don't want to hold back the process because I'm just not feeling right. I'm not healthy. I'm not confident. I'm not this. I'm not that. I want to just take charge from this point forward of how I treat this body that you've given me. I want to see it as fuel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's his way of saying everything is worship. Everything's an act of worship. Every choice we make, every decision we make, whether it's overtly spiritual, religious, and moral, or whether it's just something as simple as fueling our bodies, it's all an act of worship. He says, be careful and understand the purpose behind it all. 
And then the fourth thing, the fourth word is the word freedom. We were saved to be free. And we often think of being free from our sins and the consequences of our sins, but freedom in every area of our lives. So if there is something that's going on with me that ultimately is going to keep me from being free, I got to stay away. Because if I can't stay away, eventually it's going to get in the way of what God's wanting to do in my life. If there's anything in my life where I'm thinking, I want to quit or I want to stop or I don't want to do that, but I just I keep finding myself here, that's, that's a problem. You say, well, in and of itself, this is not a sinful thing. It's not about am I sinning or not. It's about am I being totally honest with myself? Am I prepared for what's next for me? Am I prepared for what God has in store for me? We can look through Scripture and find the rights and the wrongs. Is, is this good or is this bad, evil? Or, I'm saying right now, just to stop and say, does this put me in chains again or does this allow me to live freely? In Romans chapter six, verse six, it says, our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. It's about being free from the stuff. Whatever it is that's holding you back. If it could be an addiction, I probably don't need to be toying with it myself. I know that I've got an addictive personality. I kind of get into stuff and I'm all in. And if I don't like it, I'm all out. Like I've just, I swing really far on that, with that pendulum. I know that about me. And maybe that's shaped some of the decisions I've made along the way. I don't, I don't know. I just know I, I have a hard enough time as it is honoring God with what's in my life. I don't need to add things that are going to take away the freedom that God has died to, set, to give me, and to set me free. Now, again, this is not just about our bodies and how big or fast or strong we are. It's not it at all. That's a cultural thing for us too in America. But this is not about that. Because the truth is we all struggle with things. Even my own family, we, we decided we're just gonna be the autoimmune disease crew, I guess. I mean, my mom deals with arthritis. My sister's had type one diabetes. She was diagnosed since she was, when she was five. I felt left out. So a couple years ago, I said, rack me up one. I grabbed me some colitis and said, we're all good. We all have one now. So we're all good to be a part of that family. Like there are things in our lives and our bodies that just don't work the way we want them to. This is not a competition with anyone else. It's not a competition with the mirror. It's not about me saying, well, here's this physical goal, and if I, if I honor it here, then I'm going to be great, and God's going to be it's so far beyond that. This is about me saying, God, I care enough about being the person you want me to be now that I'm willing to even recognize and honor this connection with my body and my spirit because I want to make sure that I'm not confusing myself tricking myself, deceiving myself into thinking that I can spiritually be great and physically to be a mess. I'll close with this scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter six. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. These bodies don't even belong to us. 
God says, in the, in the end, I'm going to give you a brand new body, the perfect body that you always wanted, that works and is functional in every way that these are not. But until then, this is all you've got. And this is your one time around. But it's enough. And in those moments when you do have weakness, my grace will be sufficient for you. I'll get you through this. But know that these shells that you're living in, they're not yours. Those are mine as well. And offer them to me as a living sacrifice. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being a great God who is patient with us as we struggle to be faithful to you. And God, most of the time, because it's more obvious and maybe more comfortable, we talk about honoring you with our Sunday mornings and honoring you with our devotions and quiet times and praying for things that matter and inviting people to church. And all those things are incredibly important. But God, what we often fail to see is that connection between being physically strong and spiritually strong. And God, for those who are physically weak because of something that our sinful bodies just have done to us, things that we can't do anything about, or those who have neglected and abused the bodies that you've given us up until this point, and so they're compromised. But God, as long as there's breath, there's still time. And regardless of how we were when we came in today, right now we're in your presence, the presence of a healer and the presence of a God who can take whatever junk we lay on the table and turn it around into something he can use. So God, this is about moving forward. Beginning today, we want to be prepared in every way for whatever you have written for us. And we wanna be prepared to be able to fight back against whatever attack the enemy has for us. So God, whether it's a, an issue of clarity, an issue of strength, issue of rest, whatever it may be, God, help us to be intentional and take charge of what's going on in our own lives because we will be accountable one day for the opportunities that we have, those that we've taken and those that we've squandered. God, we give you our time and our lives today. We lay our hearts and our bodies on the altar today as a living sacrifice. And we pray that it will be found holy and acceptable to you our act of worship. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and respond in song.